The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 281 for Monday, August 23rd, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. It is Monday. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire, as always. And it's time to do the show. John, you're with me, yes? Uh, yeah, John F. Braun, Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, it's nice out here. Is it? it this is pre- it's almost fall-like, so I know. it's about 70. It's cloudy and overcast, but, uh, and a little breeze. Open up all the windows, air out the house. Actually went for a bike ride. You know what? With 20, 25-mile-an-hour winds... Bike riding can get to be a bit of a challenge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or maybe they were higher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've got rain here today. It's been like rain on and off since yesterday afternoon. So, uh, it, but, it, but it does. It has that, that fall feel to the air. And, uh, and I, I'm looking forward to fall. It's, uh, yeah, I always do. This is, the, this is the, the week every year that we, you know, place our order for firewood if we don't have enough or whatever. And it's just all that stuff to prep for, for fall is, is right here. And it's, it was actually below 60 earlier today might might even be cool enough for uh for a fire in the house tonight but i doubt it Ooh, and yeah. and and the big and and the big benefit i think is uh getting ready to you know uh, uh ship the kids off to school right uh yeah i miss them when they go to school well you know i mean i don't yeah. see them that much during the day when i work anyway but uh but yeah right, it, i'm right. actually looking forward to getting back into the, the system my daughter starts middle school this year oh boy. which means we're up an hour plus earlier for her every day oh. so you know yeah, it's, it's good, though. It'll be, uh, you know, progress, right? Moving forward. And, and speaking of moving forward, boy, howdy, do we have a good show today. We have more stuff than we'll get through, which I love. You know, that's the other way I can tell it's the end of August. Our our email counts start going up again uh, because, uh, you know, mid-July, it, it tapers off. I mean, we still obviously get plenty in and most shows are mm-hmm. more than packed. But uh, but, you know, there's definitely a lull that happens in the summer as people kind of slow down their podcast listening. I think just by definition of being on vacation and, uh, you know, schedules not being as consistent as they as they are. Not only are our schedules inconsistent in the summer, typically, but uh, but all of yours are, too, or many of yours are. So, yeah, I definitely noticed it this week that it was like, whoa, look at this. We're you know, we're chock full again. Okay, good. Excellent. Excellent. And I am not going to talk about my home theater setup adventures. I, I will at the end of the show uh, talk about my Apple Care experience. I have an interesting story to share, which I think the story certainly to me is interesting. I think it'll be interesting to most of you, but uh, but there's some lessons to be learned from it. Some lessons we probably all know anyway, but uh, but but good to share. But we'll save that to the end of the show, and now we will dive right in to uh, to to some of the questions we have. We have a couple of questions about managing iTunes. And the first one comes from Ray. He says, I have two iTunes libraries. I use one for personal use and I use one as an iPhone app development platform. I like to keep things completely separate since I use different credit cards and I don't really put music in the app dev library. I also use completely different devices for the two libraries. Anyway, I'd like to know how I can create two icons in the dock each one starting iTunes with a specific library. I was trying to find a way to use scripts or automator or even a bash file from the shell to start up iTunes with a parameter for a library name like open. And he gives an example command line, uh, but that doesn't seem to work. So I did some digging and 
I found something called iTunes Library Manager. Uh, it's over at Doug's Apple Scripts for iTunes site, which is DougScripts.com. And it will do this. It doesn't, I don't think he's going to get his wish of having two separate icons in the dock. But, you know, you could run it right as, uh, as I'm thinking about this, John, you could write a shell script to move folder names, right? And have have the uh, the iTunes library folder, you know, have it iTunes library one or iTunes library two and pop a, an alias into place or something. You could certainly do that with uh, with a shell script and then have that launch iTunes too. So you, you could get it done that way. But, uh, but, but oh. so those are, those are my ideas. Do you have any, any thoughts, John? Uh, I think you, yes, we had I, similar thoughts. Okay. So, so the thing is to point out to people what you can already do, as you may know, but if you don't, we're going to, we're going to tell you is that when you launch iTunes, you can hold down the option key and it will ask you, Hey, would you like to select another library? So my thoughts were along with you, Dave, is that perhaps you could, create an alias to different libraries and maybe write a script that will do a li- maybe be an Apple script or an automator action or something like that, that would select a different alias and right. put it in place of where, where the file always is. But what, so you see where I'm getting at. I, I do. Think, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's the same, same concept. Yes. I, uh, because I, I, I look through all the P list files and as far as I can see, there is, no plist entry. I'll, I'll dig a little bit further, but I don't think there's a plist entry that would point to it. Nor is there. Uh, I tried this as well. Is nor is there, and 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 I think this was suggested uh, a way to submit the information on the command line, which is unfortunate. And I think you know, in general, I think iTunes needs uh, maybe a little refresh. I mean, I, th- I think it's getting kind of long in the tooth. It is one of the few cocoa uh, carbon apps left, right? iTunes. I believe. Yeah, and I see no reason. I mean, I was looking through Apple scripts and stuff like that, and, and people have actually written Apple scripts that can control a number of aspects of iTunes, but selecting the library on launch is not one of them. I, ju- I think they just don't publish that ability, and I look through Automator as well. There, there's a lot of things you can do with Automator and iTunes. You know, select a different song and go to the next uh, song, previous song, you know, load a different playlist, I think, but loading a library and startup is, is just not one that, that I was able to find. So, yeah, so I think mucking around yeah, this, the file I, system. this iTunes library manager from Doug's Apple scripts is interesting mm-hmm. because it doesn't, right. uh, it doesn't use, I think it does what we're talking about. I think it's, it's kind of okay. moving some files around. Yeah. It, it keeps separate preferences. It keeps it, 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 it's actually seems pretty cool. So that this, though it doesn't do exactly what you want, right? This may do something even more like, uh, what you might want down the road, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mo- moving on to Rod, John. Indeed. All right. Uh, I think we're moving on to Rod. You know, these files should be here. There it is. Okay. Uh, Rod writes, it's the middle of August, and that means Christmas is right around the corner. Well, what? the marketing machine wants you to think that anyway. And I've already seen Christmas trees going up in the display window of a local craft store. My iTunes library is filled with holiday and non-holiday music. Currently, I uncheck all of my Christmas music and set the preferences to only sync checked songs. I've created smart playlists that exclude the holiday genres, etc. Is there a better way to deal with music that you want to keep around but don't necessarily need to see for 11 months out of the year? I'm sure this topic comes up every year and I'm hoping you can give me some great advice on how to better manage my iTunes library. So, it topic certainly comes up for me each year. Uh and what I do is I, I do something very similar to what you describe here, Rod. I haven't found anything a whole lot better. I have a smart playlist of holiday music 
matched by genre. Okay, so that playlist says if the genre is holiday or the genre is Christmas or, you know, whatever, because they might have been categorized a little bit differently. Put them all into this playlist. Then as I'm creating other smart playlists and I have some for listening and, you know, newest stuff or whatever, just even I have one that's a random list of songs that I haven't listened to in the last month. And so it constantly cycles in. Well, not new music, but music that I have. It could be new, but certainly stuff that I just haven't heard just to keep things fresh if I want uh, you know, to force a change. And in that one, I exclude the playlist by saying uh, I exclude all the holiday music by saying playlist is not holiday in the criteria for the uh, what to include into the uh, into the smart playlist. So. So that's how I do it. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, John, but uh, and certainly any of you listeners out there, if you have if you come up with another way, let us know. We've got plenty of time between now and the holiday season, though, though, as uh, as Rod writes, apparently some people are already there. To me, that's a sign that the economy is in really sad shape. Yeah. Of course, that's usually one of the, the big uh you know, big sale period. Right. Anyways, I just want to be clear when you say genre, Dave. So if, if you want to find out the genre, of a particular title yep. within iTunes, um, you would go to a particular song, get info. And then there is a, I'm just looking over info tab. And within there is genre. Correct. And I see they have holiday. They have Christianity. I guess either one could apply to, uh, or there's custom. I guess you can make your own. Oh yeah, I have. I have tons. I have. I think I have holiday and Christmas uh, as as mine. But yeah, you can create plenty of genres. You do whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. So this is an attribute that uh, I believe is normally applied to a song by the CDDB or whatever database is out there. But you can certainly change it to to meet your needs. And and yeah, I think uh, that that's the best way to do it at this point. Yeah. You know, combined with a smart playlist. Correct. 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 Cool. All right. I want to tell you about our first sponsor for the show, which is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. Audio Engine makes all kinds of things, but their flagship, the, their, their first products into the market were speakers. Uh, talk about different types of speakers that they have. Today, I want to revisit the Audio Engine A2s. These are what they call their desktop speakers, they are powered speakers. There's two of them. They plug right into your Mac. They've got uh, they've got a little port on the back. That's the mini eight plug on the back of your Mac. That's mini eight. These speakers come with all the cables you'll need and then some. Uh, so you don't need to worry about do I have the right cables? No, nope. it, it's coming with everything you need. So you plug from your Mac into the left speaker. And then the left speaker has an amplifier. It plugs into power so that it's got juice. And then you run a cable which again comes with it from the left speaker to the right speaker and everything powers up and sounds great. These a twos they're, they're small. They're, you know, I think uh, four or five inches tall, small little speakers, but man, they pack a really full sound. It I've got them. I use them in the house as con they pretty much are our main listening speakers in the house, which is, I would not have gone out and chosen them as this because I'm kind of an audio nut and I like to make sure I'm hearing things. So I'll go overboard and I'll, I'll buy and maybe not even overboard, but I'll buy much larger, you know, bookshelf style speakers to listen to in the house. Well, these a twos, uh, they do it. They, they cover our kitchen and our kind of our study and computer room all in one there. And it sounds great. We can hear while we're cooking. We can hear while we're eating. We can hear while we're on the computers. And if we want to listen to music, 
in the living room. Well, we've got a stereo and home theater for that. But the A2s, they sound great. Two speakers in each enclosure, plus a little bass port in the bottom, really rounded out, totally engineered for MP3 converted music. So they've got the right EQ range already on them. You don't need to muck around in iTunes. 199 bucks, uh, and you get a free trial, meaning if you uh, if you don't like them, you can send them back within the for a free audition, they call it. If you don't like them, send them back within 30 days. They'll send you all your money back. 199 bucks at AudioEngineUSA.com, but you can save 10% by using the coupon code MGGTEN. Uh, that's MacGeekGab10 for those of you that might want to remember in a more uh, visual way. But MacGeekGab10, NN, mm-hmm, I'll try that again. MGG10 gets you 10% off, so it's 180 bucks thereabouts. And, uh, and you can check them out. They're fantastic. I highly recommend them. And, uh, and it's great when we have an advertiser that, 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 uh, that I can recommend. And of course we have lots of those here. We're, we're very fortunate. So audioengineusa.com is the place to go. Time to get on to sleep issues, John. Mm. Sorry. Sorry. I was were taking you, a little snooze. Were you sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we have a couple of them here. So we yeah, do. let's uh, start. Uh, Linden's okay. first, which I, I uh, well, go on. Okay, I'll read his question. Lyndon says, I have a Mac Pro and I'm encountering sleeping issues. I'm assuming he's talking about the computer, John. Uh, Likewise. Okay. I normally switch off my computer at night, but I have been using Radio Shift to record some programs and have needed to leave my computer on. I noticed in recent weeks that the computer is not going to sleep. I've looked at the console logs, a scary place, and found out that there seems to be constant reference to a DYLD shared region. I wondered if this was the reason the machine was was not falling, was failing to sleep. I've added a screenshot, which he showed us. Uh, I've done some Google foo. Is that how you spell it? And found a couple of threads, but no resolution. One blamed Microsoft Office 2008. I've cleaned out caches and zapped the PRAM, but I'm running out of ideas. Can you help? Absolutely. Yes. So we have a number of issues here, Dave, and I'm going to uh, address them. So, so number one, I think Google Fu, I, I think it actually would be G-O-O-G-L-E-F-U, as in Kung Fu. Right. So uh, that's just my take on, on Google Fu, which, of course, indicates that you have, you know, exceptional. The, the, listen, the listeners didn't skills. see how it was spelled anyway, so uh, we can oh, sorry. pass that. That's right. All right. So that's my take on it. But let me, uh, hold on, let me bring up. Uh, okay. So here's my reply. So one, he asked the question, do these DYLD messages have anything to do with it? And my opinion is no, they do not. So what are these DYLD messages, you may ask? What are they, John? <laughs> well, as far as I can tell, what these are is actually an issue. <clears throat> Excuse me. And here are some of the messages. So I'm looking at the console, and he would get various messages. They were of the format. Um, it would give the name of an application. Uh, it, so it was a kernel message. It would give the name of an application, then it would say map, and then it says triggered DYLD shared region unnest for map, a hex address region, blah, blah, blah. While not abnormal for debuggers, this increases system memory footprint until the target exists. And that sounds kind of bad. And I think it is bad. But, but what that is, is there is an area, of, uh, or actually, a ca- so what this indicates is there's a problem with your cache. There is a library cache, and that's basically what this is. Now, you could either find this out by looking at the man page. I think it was the man page for DYLD. Or, so here was the suggestion. So, so while this was not the cause of this, I did offer a solution to, to clear this up. And it involves our friend Onyx, Dave. Right. So Onyx has a specific 
place where you can clear out this message. And I think it was oh, you can clear uh, out maintenance, that cache, which should hopefully clear out that message. That's right. Right. So you go to maintenance, rebuild section, and then there's a checkbox for DYLD shared cache. So uh, it certainly can't hurt. Now, I think you can also manually dive into the cache folder, though I, I, I think using Onyx is a better choice. You're better, you're better off with Onyx. And that DL, yes. DYLD cache, I, I recommend rebuilding that anytime you're in Onyx rebuilding anything. It, it gets corrupted more than anything else I've seen. Uh, and, and you do, you get those funky messages in the console and it can also cause some other, other problems with the way apps kind of relate to uh, other things. So yeah, definitely good to, to clean it up. But, but for his sleep problem, John, do you have an idea? Well, we're going to continue. So another one is Apple has a wonderful support article. And as you may know, if you want to get these uh, support articles, so the code for this one is HT17. And, six. and we'll put a link in the show notes, of course. Of course. And all of these articles, for the most part, are, are prefaced by support.apple.com slash KB, which I'm going to think is knowledge base, and then the name of the support article. So I pointed them towards uh, the article titled Mac OS X, Why Your Mac Might Not Sleep or Stay in Sleep Mode. And so he went to, you know, went through this list and tried a bunch of things, and apparently none of them were... Uh, Solve the problem. But he had a third, and then I'll hand it to you, Dave. But then he had a third question. He didn't get back to it on this, but did ask us, I've heard Office 2008 causes problems. And I've heard of this as well. We're going to link to this article as well. But Dave, the one thing that Office 2008 has is this nasty little program that seems to respawn or reinsert itself into your login items called Microsoft Database Daemon. I'm going to say Daemon. Some people say Daemon. I say tomato. You say tomato. Whatever. Or you may have heard the people in Nevada are kind of upset about the pronunciation of that, but that that's, has nothing to do with this. Anyways, there is an application that Office introduces called Microsoft Database Daemon that you'll see. And there's an article here that tells you how to get rid of that. It, and it runs in the background and it kind of does. Uh, uh, my suspicion is that it can be active and it can prevent your machine from going to sleep. So that makes there's sense. a Microsoft support article about how to get rid of that. It, it may eliminate the ability to get notifications or reminders from office, but if it pre- prevents your machine from sleeping, then you may want to whack this process. So yeah. my, my, that's what I got to say. Yeah. Sleep issues are interesting and we're, we'll go into some more with, with uh, a specific one with Larry in the next question, but it, you know, it, it, it can be like, it can be very difficult to troubleshoot because, of course, you're waiting for something to happen, happen. And if you artificially make it happen, well, then you're not, you know, you're not seeing a real life scenario. So it's, it's tough to diagnose. What I would recommend is boot your machine clean, meaning boot it, but then don't do anything else. Let it sit there and let it, you know, let it see if it goes to sleep or let, let the machine try to go to sleep and see what happens. Uh if it doesn't, then you know that it's either some piece of hardware or a piece of software that's running all the time. So that lets you narrow it down to either, again, hardware that's plugged into your Mac or installed in your Mac or software that's in your login items or otherwise set to start up immediately when your machine comes up. If it does sleep there but doesn't sleep after you've been using it for a bit, well, then that gives you an idea of how to troubleshoot that as well. And with this, you know, he says he's running uh, um, radio. Uh, I can't think of the name of it. <clears throat> radio shift to uh, to do some downloads that in and of itself may be keeping it from sleeping, because in order to do its downloads, it's got to be awake. And there are apps that can 
there are ways that an app can keep a machine away. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I, I, that's what I would try. I know we, we did hear back from Larry or sorry, Lyndon on this and thus far he hasn't been able to get it resolved. It's possible that a, either a clean install of snow leopard or a maintenance install of snow leopard, or even just the putting the combo updater back on that can also help. Uh, if, you know, if something's out of place, it will keep the machine from sleeping. It also could be if you have a hypersensitive mouse, uh, it, you know, I've seen where I've seen where that causes it too. If your mouse is on a, a table that moves or something and the mouse is set, you know, to be sensitive enough to sensitive enough to notice that, well, then that can cause the problem too. So there's all kinds of things. Try, try different parameters, but try one thing at a time. It will take some time to get to the bottom of this. Uh, but, uh, but you have right. to honor the troubleshooting process here. Otherwise you just got not going to know what fixed it. Now, a couple of additional suggestions and I have seen this Dave. So one, I, I have seen this solving some of my problems in that in the console with certain programs, what will happen is in the console, you will get a message from power management config D yep. and it will say system sleep prevented by. Oh yeah. And it'll tell you. Why? Like it, when I did have this problem, the reason was there was another, it'll say TTY zero or somebody is logged in. Right. So you may, so if you want to search in the console, because yeah, don't, don't dig through the console and look at every message, but if it, you know, look for the word sleep, sleep or power management and uh, that'll limit the messages. And sometimes it'll hit on it. The other thing I suggested, which when I was solving my problems will work is go to system preferences, energy saver, set the sleep time for one minute, sit around, Look at your watch or look at the timestamp on the um, and wait a minute and then look in the console and see what messages you get. And you're probably going to see near that one minute mark, you know, don't don't leave it for longer than that unless you want to waste a lot of time. You may see the program that's preventing it because the, right. the console may barf up the message on that. So between all of now, I think he wrote back to us and said he thought it was Hazel. And that, that could be too Hazel, uh, which we talked about again recently does it sits and runs in the background and does some things inherent to the file system, right? It's, it's monitoring the file system and then going and spawning processes based on what it sees. So there is something with Hazel that's running in the background all the time. It sits in the menu bar, which indicates that there's something running, but, uh, but yeah, that, that could certainly be it. And, and he said quitting Hazel solved that problem. So, okay, now take a look at what Hazel's doing and is there something that's mm. triggering Hazel to constantly run and therefore not let your machine sleep? So, And I right. have one more, Dave. Okay. I'm not going to let it go. No. Okay, go. But I did find this one program, which I, I haven't yet tried, but uh, the next time I have sleep problems, I will. And it's called, and it's very polite, it's called Please Sleep. And allegedly it's an application. I haven't tried it yet, but it's, it may be worth looking at. But it's an application that I think will force asleep and it'll ignore so yes. you, you may want to be careful with this but it's an application called please sleep um i don't know if there's necessarily any danger other than that things that are happening that you may want to continue happening like recording radio and stuff like that right um but i think it's worth looking at i've heard some people mention it as a way to kind of nudge the machine and say you know no you really do want to sleep so it may overrule the default behavior of the sleep timers in, in the os which sometimes may not do what you want so We'll link to that, of course. I'm, I'm going to try it the next time I have sleep issues. But for the most part, when, when I did have sleep issues, I would quit things that I knew would be generating a lot of churn, like mail. Yeah, sometimes I'll have my machine running at night with iTunes, and I'll play some stuff. 
But if I had mail and Twitter and other things running, it would never sleep because there was just all this churn on the network and, and the machine was like, well, something's happening. So I better not go to sleep. Huh? Interesting. And All more right. sleep talk, Dave. More sleep talk with Larry. Larry says, I have a brand new MacBook Pro that is having trouble going to sleep. I've been listening to your discussions about sleeping in show 259. I'm a little behind. And once I figured out the console was a program in my utilities folder and not something run from the command line, I was off troubleshooting. I saw several comments about Time Machine in my console log, so I disabled it and the computer still wouldn't sleep. I then saw the string of comments below saying that it was changing the network configuration every minute or so. I searched config D and found the following link, which led to an Apple discussion program uh, discussion group uh, that suggested I delete the Ethernet option in the network preferences. And now my machine seems to sleep just fine. I use this machine almost exclusively on Wi-Fi. In hindsight, before deleting the Ethernet service, it would sleep if I turned airport off or I was in an area with no Wi-Fi. It's a 17 inch MacBook Pro i7 2.66 gigahertz. I think the machine would sleep right out of the box, but then I did the 1063 combo updaters and then 1064 and started installing my programs and it hasn't slept since. Okay. Uh, this is an interesting one. Certainly it's possible that the network interfaces were confused. Uh, it, it would have been interesting if you open up system preferences and go into network, you can set the, the you can, you can do a lot of things. Uh, the two things we're going to talk about here is you can set the service order by going to uh, the little gear at the bottom and choosing set service order. And what that does is it lets you prioritize which interface will take over for the other. By default, his machine would have been set to prioritize Ethernet over airport. Um, what that means is if both are connected, Ethernet is going to be the one that the system tries to use first. But if Ethernet's not connected, then it you will use airport because it's there. It would have been interesting before you and then in there, you can also delete and you can modify and add and remove. But uh, before he deleted it, what will happen is if you have let's say you have it set that Ethernet is a higher priority than airport uh, and you have airport connected and then you plug an Ethernet cable in. Well, what you'll see is at first airport will be listed at the top and it'll be green and then Ethernet will change from red to green and it'll float up to above airport because, of course, it's a priority higher than airport. It would have been very interesting to look in the network system preference pane and see if it's switching back and forth between airport and Ethernet. And if it is and there's nothing plugged into the Ethernet port, then we have a problem uh, because it indicates that the Ethernet port or the system thinks that something is being plugged into and removed from the Ethernet port regularly, which tells me there may be a hardware problem, certainly some some sort of a problem. It's probably not software, though. Uh, so, you know, it's a new machine. Chances are it's still under warranty. Might be worth getting that taken care of before it uh, before it falls out. So but the the short term fix is go in and remove Ethernet. That way you've only got you know, the airport interface, you might have some others, but they're not causing you problems. So you leave them alone. And that way, without that other interface getting in the way, your machine can sleep. And you're probably going to get better network throughput because the machine's not trying to switch back and forth to an interface that doesn't exist. So that's, uh, that's my thought. Any, any, any ideas from you, John? No, that's a good one. The specific message that we saw was yet yeah, network config D network configuration changed. Yeah. 
And uh, this, uh, I think I've described it before, Dave, but my strategy, at least on my MacBook, is to only have one interface defined when I know what I'm hooked up to, whether it be Ethernet or Wi-Fi. So I don't have any interfaces active that I'm not using. And that this seems to suggest, but but I'm with you in that I think there may be a fault. Now, I don't know if, uh, well, I think you were hinting that if you list a port that's not being used as the highest priority port, maybe the OS is like, well, you know, I better look at this and see if anything's up. And then it generates this. Okay. No, I do. Because I do that. I have, I have one configuration that I use everywhere. Um, Okay. It, it, and it's almost, it's essentially the configuration that came out of the box from Apple. Uh, I have everything set to use DHCP. I I have my router manually assigned or automatically assigned specific DHCP reservations, which you can set. And we've talked about that before, and we'll probably talk mm. about it again. Uh, so my machine always gets the same IP address on my network, but it's set to get the network from the server or the IP address from the server every time. So I don't have to think about it when I travel or whatever. Uh, Ethernet is top priority. Airport is second priority. And then... I think I've got one or two other things that I've messed around with in the, in the past. Maybe the Wi-Fi is out there or something like that. Okay. Uh, you know, but I, but I never have a problem when I'm on airport, either home or traveling or whatever with it, with the ethernet trying to fight for a connection that doesn't exist. I, I think there's a problem with this ethernet port in this, in this case. It's hard to say without seeing it, but, but that okay. shouldn't be. I'm, all right. I'm, I'm still going to do what I'm doing. I know you are. <laughs> that's because that's how you roll. And that's what well, we love about you. And it works for me. That's right. And it eliminates, I mean, wasting those electrons looking, you know, activating those other ports. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't be active if there's no, uh, there's no, no I understand on it, but yeah, could be. Could All be. right. What is next? All right. Ne- Enough uh, about well, sleep because we're fully awake now. We're just rare right. here. Okay. John's John writes a different John. He says uh, he also has a 17 inch I seven MacBook pro and he's having issues with his network, but this is his Wi-Fi network having issues with Wi-Fi and WPA two security uh, posted out uh, about it on the Apple discussion forums with no help. But I think I've stumbled onto something when I run without WPA two security. I don't lose my connection. As soon as I turn on the computer to turn the security on, uh, the computer will be have begin having connection issues randomly. It will always show full bars. All the other devices on the network connect fine during this. Not until I turn airport off, then back on. Will it work again? Just letting it sit never reestablishes a connection. I've taken it to the genius bar. They've run tests. They've replaced the airport card. They've had me do a fresh install. Nothing fixes it. Okay. This is an interesting one. I, I'm curious here, and actually, uh, he he answered. I was curious if the the router was an airport, uh, you know, an Apple branded router, either an airport or a time machine. Uh, and it's not. It's a it's a Linksys router. I've seen this issue both with older Apple routers, like the old Airport Extremes, and third party routers. I think there's something funky about. Apple's implementation on their computers with WPA2. Uh, Pilot Pete was having the same problem last week when he was here for the show. Uh, his computer was jumping on and off my my networks here. It was causing him all kinds of grief. Uh, there's a on third party routers. There's a lot of tweaks that can be made to WPA security or WPA2 security. Uh, I find that setting it to AES instead of TKIP often works better. Uh, so, so that's, that's my recommendation is to use AES 
versus TKIP. And this is in the type of security that you're doing <sighs> with WPA2. Uh, but for the sake of troubleshooting, in John's case here, I would specifically recommend changing to a different type of security. So try, you know, get rid of WPA2, use WEP. I know it's less secure. Try it for a week just to see if it's security in general that's causing your problem or if it's WPA security. And if it is, maybe there's some tweaks you can make there to get it both secure and working. So that those are those would be my thoughts on this one, John. Well, I ran into this too, Dave, and it actually was when I was evaluating the Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. which I think both you and I use, and it's a great Wi-Fi extender, but I'd had a specific issue, and I'm going to be with you that I think it may be an Apple problem. I had a specific issue that they were unable to reproduce with my time capsule, where if my time capsule was set to WPA slash WPA2 security, and I tried to connect, it wouldn't connect. If I said WPA2 only, then it would connect. Yeah. Now, in theory, because I told the Wi-Fi, uh, by the way, dude, use WPA2, just the fact that it wasn't connecting to the Apple machine unless I explicitly forced WPA2, which shouldn't have to be the case. I mean, you know, if I say one or the other, it should be able to select, but it wasn't able to. So the problem is it's somebody's encryption or, or security software that's causing the problem. The thing is, who do we point the finger at? Maybe Apple. Always Apple. Oh, wait. No, not always Apple. <laughs> well, it certainly could be Cisco. I'm, I'm sure. sorry, Link says Cisco, whoever. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, whose implementation is, you know, got a memory leak or something like that. And when it doesn't work out quite right, it, it's like, well, I better drop the connection. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I have seen this before. So, yeah, I, I think your suggestion is good is, is uh, you know, maybe he does have it in the WPA2 slash WPA mode. Force WPA2 if that's an option and, and see if, if that changes it. Or as you suggested, Dave, there are a number of WPA specific options as far as the encryption protocol. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, be methodical, you know, documented, have a little checklist and uh, maybe you'll stumble across the, the winner. Yeah, hopefully. And and when you do, let us know because it, we'll share it with everyone. This is this is something that does come up regularly. Like I said, I've seen it and, and, and you're not the first listener by by a stretch. You're not the first listener to report something like this, uh, although you're the first one to get troubleshot, have troubleshot it this far before you sent in your question. So very, very helpful. All right. Uh, you know, last show we talked about uh, Powerline. And we have a couple of specific questions. I know we've actually talked about it in a couple of shows here, so I don't want to go too far with it. But there were some good specific questions about its implementation uh, that I think were we didn't really cover and could be very helpful. So we'll start with Chuck. Hi, this is Chuck from Boulder, Colorado. I'm just listening to 278, uh, Mac Geek Gab. And you talked about um, uh, Powerline AV uh, Ethernet. And you put two Wi-Fi's. Uh, yeah, just uh, for to, those of you that uh, that have not heard this yet and are catching up here, maybe you skipped a couple shows during the summer. Powerline, very briefly, is a technology that allows you to essentially use your power wires in your house as though they are Ethernet cables. Uh, you can go back and listen to the discussion for the details, but it allows you to connect parts of your house that otherwise are not connected by wire. So. Uh, so we'll, we'll back up Chuck a little bit here. Ice. I think. Ethernet. And you put two Wi-Fi's, uh, no, two uh, wireless access points, uh, one in bridge mode. Um, what did you do for, I assume you set the same SSID and same uh, password uh, or uh, 
you know, security, um, did you set the same channel or do you use different channels to keep the channel spaced and then each uh, wireless uh, computer decides which signal it sees stronger and selects the right one. I've always wondered about that because I come to some places where they have everything on channel 6 and I'm going, geez, I, I think that's a mistake. But maybe that's the right way to do multiple wireless access points uh, to form one um, network. Um, so let me know. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, you bet, Chuck. And it, this is a good question regardless. So you can certainly do this with Powerline and it's an excellent use of Powerline, but you can also do it with Ethernet cables if you had run them. And that's going to probably work, but it's certainly going to be there's one less fat unknown factor doing it with Ethernet versus doing it with Powerline. But uh, but a great use of it. The idea is you have your Internet connection come into one part of your house. You use the Powerline connectors to get an Ethernet effectively an ethernet feed to the furthest corner of your house from there. And then you put in another wireless base station at the tail end of that power line connection. What that lets you do is get Wi-Fi connection, maybe in a spot where you didn't get it because it couldn't broadcast far enough from, from your original point. And that's what I do here. Uh, Chuck's question is twofold. One, do you use the same SSID on both of these wireless networks? And the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, you want your computers, iPhones, iPads, Wi-Fi devices in general to just happily roam from one access point to the other as if you're not even, you know, without without pestering you at all. And that's the way to do it. It's it's totally seamless. It works totally fine. Uh, and as far as all the rest of the computers on your network are concerned, these devices are just always there. Depending, it doesn't matter what Wi-Fi access point they're connected to. It just sees them and everything's happy. About channel, though, you do not want the channels the same. What I do is I use Air Radar uh, from Coingo Software. You can also use iStumbler. I always go and look just before I set up a wireless network, I go and look to see what else is around me. You know, it, can I, is there any channel I should stay away from? And assuming not, then I will choose channels one, six or 11. The channels in the U S are one through 11, but I will choose channel one, six or 11. Now, as Chuck pointed well, out, why would you do that, Dave? Well, uh, the way it works is even though you can choose channel one, two, three, four, all the way up through 11, each channel is merely the focal point or the center of the range of frequencies that's going to be used. And it expands about uh, it's a it's about three channels wide. So uh, and and the, the, the main channel, the middle channel gets more of the signal, but it does sort of spread out to the, the other channels. Think of it as a triangle. Right. And the uh, the the channel that you're on is the point of the triangle. So if you move from channel one to channel two, well, channel, even though you're on channel two, you're still going to use some of the spot from channel one and some of channel three, and maybe even a little bit of channel four. So it's not until you get to say channel four that now you're not interfering with anything happening on channel one. Uh, so that's why I always say one, six or 11. If those are full, well, then I, I, I shy away from six because everything defaults to six. So I always go three or nine uh, just to give me some buffer room there to get away from multiple devices on six. But in my house, I think I use one and 11. That way, if a neighbor comes in uh, and is close enough to me and pops up a channel six router, well, chances are it's not going to interfere because that's smack dab in the middle of my two and they'll never 
They'll never uh, be bothered by that. So I have one channel one on one of mine, channel 11 on the other one. And, uh, and it works great. Devices hop back and forth without any problem. And, uh, and it works really, really well. So, so that, that's my, that's my advice on that, regardless of whether you're using power line or, or, uh, ethernet or however else you're, you're stringing the two base stations together. Time to move on to Jeff's power line question, John. Yeah, I'm with you. And actually, you know, I have when I've been in environments where they have multiple base stations, like in an enterprise environment, I look to see how yeah. they were set up. And sure enough, they would have multiple. And you, you may see this, like if you're ever in an airport Hotels. or other place that offers public Wi-Fi, you, you'll see that that's what they do, exactly what they do. You'll see they all have the same SSID. Of course, they'll have a different MAC address, but they will, hopefully, if they know what the heck they're doing, um, be on, yeah, 1, 6, or 11 for the most part, at least when you're talking 802 g yes or b right right which is what most of the public ones are still uh, and i think well and you're talking and five gigahertz i think you're talking different channel numbers yeah it goes 36 to 160 i think i can't remember off the top of my head i have we'll we'll look into it yep uh more power line more power line that's right from jeff hey guys this is jeff from madison wisconsin uh i had a thought on uh episode 280 the Netgear uh, power line adapters, and I was wondering about surge protection. You said that uh, you're not supposed to connect them into uh, surge protectors, and so I was uh, thinking that would kind of be a problem because uh, if you get a lightning strike, it will just go right down your Ethernet cable through the power line adapter and uh, fry whatever's connected to it. Um, and so I thought that would be a big problem. I didn't really find a whole lot online about it, except that you should have whole house surge protection, which is would be nice, but isn't necessarily an option for everyone. Just uh, wondering if you guys had any thoughts on this. Uh, you can cut me off here. All right. Uh, yeah, so... I asked them about this when I first first started heading down the path of power line. John, I, I had the same thought that Jeff had, which was, wait a minute, I'm essentially plugging, you know, I'm, I'm one step away from plugging an Ethernet cable right into the power socket. Mm-hmm. This doesn't feel right for me. Uh, so I asked them about it and they said, no, no, it, you know, there's there's surge protection built into these devices and they you know, they, there's no way that the power is going to get there. And I thought, OK, that's fine. Uh, and and I did some research on this and that's that's what everyone's come up with. In fact, I can't I couldn't find an instance where a spike coming down the power lines uh, had actually negatively impacted over the over the network cable. And trust me, I'm no stranger to this as longtime listeners of the <laughs> podcast will know. But there is a device that I do recommend and. I I'm trying to think of the name of it off the top of my head. It's from APC. I think it's called PowerNet. Now something else. Uh, they will. They make. You know. Pause one second here. It's ProtectNet. Uh, we we spared you the pause, of course. Uh, APC makes something. American Power Conversions. I think is that a name. Uh, they're the ones that make. They make UPSs, the battery backups, and all that stuff. They make. This series of ProtectNet devices, they make them with RJ45 ports for gigabit Ethernet, RJ11 ports for your phone, uh, coax for your cable connection. 
And the idea is that these will take the fall for any big problem that you have. And again, trust me, uh, I employ these things liberally all over. Uh, and, and I, you know, believe it or not, I don't have them on my, uh, uh, power line ethernet ports, but now that I think about it, I probably will go and, uh, and put some on. I think I've got some spares because I tend to keep some spares of these around, but they're about 25 bucks a piece, uh, for the ethernet ones. And you just wire them up. You just kind of put them in line and then, uh, run one wire to ground on the outlet just to, uh, to have it all happy and, and you're good to go. So that if you want some protection, that would be the way to do it. Everything I've read says that this is overkill, but when it comes to surge protection, overkill is kind of the idea. So, so there you go. Time to move on, John, to more follow-ups. Mm. Sure. Okay. Uh, where are we here? We got to, oh, I, I screwed things up here. For some reason, my, my computers didn't sync with each other. So I'm a little bit out of sorts. Mm. Yep. Uh, from show 280, Bruce writes, I disagree with you and your aversions over fire vault, fire vault, file vault. In show 274, you incorrectly indicated that you have to restore the whole directory if using FileVault and Time Machine. That's wrong. FileVault will back up individual files from your user folder to Time Machine uh, as long as you are logged in. The main problem with Time Machine and FileVault is that it only backs up user space uh, when you log out. So, wait a minute. No, that's not the case. I'm, re- I'm I'm misreading his note here. It says it only backs up user space when you log out. I thought it was only when you were logged in that it did this. I guess maybe we need some clarification on this. Well, encrypts it. Or is he saying encrypts it? Well, leave five all just encrypts when you start. Uh, well, decrypts when you start up, and it encrypts when you shut down. Right? No, it's a it's a uh, it's an encrypted disk image underneath right. the hood. Right. So it's encrypting mm-hmm. as you write. And decrypting as you read, I believe. Uh, I mean, you, you've got the disk image open, so you're not constantly typing a password. But my understanding of it was that it backed up. It would back up your user files as individual files, but only if you were logged into that user account. But again, I may be wrong on this. I may be misreading. Uh, I may be misreading Bruce's message because he says the main problem is that it only backs up user space when you log out. And I think it only backs up system space when you log out is the is the right thing so yeah i think uh, please co- correct us if we're wrong but i'm i'm pretty sure it will back up your user files but you have to be logged in for that to happen mm-hmm. that's uh that that's that that's been my experience with file vault all right uh moving on here to to dave because this is a good one this is interesting we've been talking about power usb and Dave's got a, uh, an interesting story to share. Hey, John and Dave. This is uh, Dave from uh, Georgia. I was just listening to Matt Geek Gab number 275 when y'all were talking about the USB um, devices and controllers and how much power they draw. I did want to relay a personal story I had from uh, hooking up a USB device to my uh, mother's iMac. Uh, one time we had plugged that in and it uh, got a message, a system message uh, shortly after plugging it in that said um, something to the effect of Mac OS X has detected that this uh, device is drawing more current than is available and will be shut down. And uh, of course I 
quickly realized uh, that the uh, device must have had some short in it because it was uh, the, the the cord near the plug-in for the to the computer had had uh, gotten hot and partially melted the casing uh, that was there. So so there there must be some sort of internal safety mechanism that checks uh, not only what the vendor uh, says the power is required, but also what the actual power. Uh, that it is drawing. Um, and uh, so that's it. That is where you cut me off. All right. Thanks, Dave. Very interesting, huh, John? I don't necessarily think the two uh, events are related. Really? And that the, the, the OS, when the OS is reporting the excess current draw, that's based on the information that's coming from the device. I think it was just an unfortunate coincidence. Hmm. All right. You've done, no, you've because, done a no, lot more that, with USB power than I have. So, yeah. Well, the thing is, no, the value that's reported, so, so unless that they've changed something, the computer is not looking at the actual current draw. It's looking at what the, the device claims it should draw under ideal conditions. So I think this was just a, I don't think it was necessarily very humorous, but, but no, an, an unfortunate coincidence of bad, probably bad design or good design on, on their part and that had melted and didn't burst into flames and uh, it reporting this event. So, uh, so I, I don't, I don't think the two had anything to do with each other. All right. I, I did, me. I did do some, some reading about this file vault thing. Cause I wanted to make sure we got it right in this show right. if possible. And Bruce is correct. Although I wasn't, I wasn't interpreting his note correctly. What happens is file vault only does not back up while you're logged in. It only backs up as you log out. So it right. doesn't back up when you are logged out. According to everything I just read, which was a pretty quick read, uh, it backs up when you log out. So make sure you have your time machine drive connected as you log out. And then that backup will will happen as part of the uh, as part of that process. So, yeah, it's not it's imperfect, but it's secure. So there you go. Okay, the one you got to squeeze Andy in here. I, we're gonna, we're definitely gonna squeeze Andy in. I, I love Andy, so uh, <laughs> I, I, well, I'll tell. I've never met him, but uh, but I, I I think I do too. But no, it, it resonates with something else that I said I wouldn't talk about, but I I may. Okay. Hey guys, it's Andy uh, Dolph calling from UNH. I'm the sound man for the university here, and um, I just happened to hear John mention the HDMI cable that came with his Blu-ray player and how expensive HDMI cables are even at Walmart, which is totally true. And uh, I wanted to suggest that uh, people check out monoprice.com if you don't already know about it. They sell virtually any kind of cable even that I want, which is probably more than most, and they're super cheap. I bought a uh, an HDMI cable from them. I think it was $9 and change um, rather than the like $50 that Best Buy wanted. Um, and I have to say, it's a beautifully built cable. Uh, I was really, really impressed with the build quality of it. And um, in general, that's been my experience with Monoprice is that their stuff is cheap and pretty much always acceptable and usually awesome. So I highly recommend them. We do a lot of cable purchasing um, for various sorts of audiovisual things at the university uh, through Monoprice. So uh, 
I don't work for them. I'm <laughs> not associated with them in any way other than being a customer, but I highly recommend them. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. I, I will point out here that especially for something like this, I would trust Andy's recommendation implicitly. Andy, I have had the pleasure of working with Andy. He is mm. not only the sound man at UNH, but uh, he's run sound for us at various gigs uh, locally in the area. And he is by far one of my favorite sound people to work with ever. He is very meticulous. He knows exactly what he's doing and he doesn't use crap equipment. Uh, so if he's happy buying cables from from Monoprice, even if he says that they're you know only usually acceptable, they're always acceptable. They're just only usually acceptable to Andy because his standards are much higher than uh, than than the rest of us. So I implicitly trust this. So very cool. Thanks for sending that through, Andy. Excellent. Um, and very quickly. So basically, after I got the Blu-ray player, I got some speakers, I got a new receiver, and I needed to get some cables, Dave. Okay. Uh, specifically, I need to get a Toslink cable because I still want to hook up. Uh, and due to the way this particular receiver works, I had to hook up my PlayStation using component video. But a Toslink cable, and I'm like, oh, I don't have a Toslink cable. I've never done the optical thing. So I went around to the local stores in the area. I went to Radio Shack. I went to my local video store. And they were like, you know, 20 bucks or more. And I'm like, you know, this can't be right. I mean, it's a teen, especially for a three-foot cable. Went to Monoprice. It was like the shipping was more than the cable. And I'm going to trust. This is going to be my test, but I trust that this is going to be a good cable. So, so yeah, how, I had a number of people. The, how much was the cable and how much was shipping? The cable was like three bucks and the shipping was by, by USPS was like three bucks. Oh, so. The, but I had numerous perfect. people because yeah. I also did a tweet the other day because, yeah, I went to Walmart for actually for an HDMI cable, which I got for like 10 bucks at my local BJ's. I'll accept that because I, I, I forgot I needed an extra cable for my receiver. But I was looking at the prices locally and no, it's crazy, especially HDMI. I'm going to link to an article. Somebody linked an article and all the HDMI cables. If, you, if you're paying any more than five bucks for an HDMI cable, you're getting ripped off. That's I, all I'm going to say. Monoprice is cool. Monoprice is cool. Um, I, I'm sure the Tosslink cable will be great. But we got to move on, Dave. But, but it just kind of infuriates me. The whole cable ripoff thing is that the, a lot of people are paying way too much for cables. And Monoprice looks like a, a decent... And, and yeah, uh, like I said, I, I tweeted this and a number of people replied to me saying, dude, just go to Monoprice. All right, all right we got to move on. We got to move on. We got to get to Tom's thing here. And you've repeated yourself. So I figured that was a good a time, as good a time as any to, to, to loop right in there. Tom writes, and this is a good idea, John. Is there any mileage in putting a mains timer on the power circuit with a MacBook or MacBook Pro charger so that even while you're working, the circuit will switch on and off without you thinking about it? This is related to our battery discussion that we had recently, John, where we said... The best thing for a battery is to use it and really overcycle it, abuse it. And and I think this is great. I, I, I want to take a look and make sure that the power uh, ratings on these things are enough. But usually you're running 100 watt bulbs on these fish tank timers. Right. So or maybe you're running 100 watt bulbs. Maybe you're not. But I want to check these. But as long as I can run enough current through it, I'm thinking of getting a uh, taking Tom's suggestion, getting a fish tank timer putting it on my uh, power brick that goes to my MacBook Pro at my desk, only the one at my desk. And that way, you know, setting it, maybe, you know, setting a pattern that it's the same from day to day, but 
erratic throughout the day. Maybe, you know, uh, turn it off for 30 minutes, turn it on for 60, turn it off for 60, turn it on for 30, you know, turn it off for 90. Just this constant cycling, uh, erratic cycling of the battery, I think would be would be good for it. I, I'm definitely going to try this out. Well, I think they have them for home security as well, Dave, where they, okay. they cycle the lights to make it look like somebody's right. living there right. and Same maybe thing. they're pseudo random or, or yeah, however random they are. But yep. Yep. So, yeah. So I'm going to I'm definitely going to check this out. And this is interesting because I just got a new battery uh, and this this dovetails in with my my Apple Care story that I promised I would tell you, John. Uh, and of course, all our listeners. So as I mentioned recently, I had a problem where my eyesight camera uh, in my MacBook Pro stopped working. And in the troubleshooting process, I also came up with a video error on the motherboard. My uh, From Apple hardware tests said yes. video error. Correct. Right? Correct. Okay. Yep. So my, my local Mac repair shop, and listen, they, I, I do them favors because they're very accommodating to me. They, all local, you know, the third party, not Apple stores, but the third party places, uh, Apple frowns upon any repairs that they do that require multiple parts. They'll do them. These people are customer service maniacs because that's their business is customer service. Uh, they'll do them, but they get a little slap on the wrist from Apple when it happens. I don't know why we talked about it a little bit in the, in the last show. Then the end of that story is anytime I have a multi-component repair, I don't ask my local shop to do it again, only because they're very accommodating to me. And uh, and so knowing this, I try not to put them in, in that position if I don't have to. And it's easy enough to send it off. So uh, I sent this computer off on Wednesday afternoon last week. I had it back by 10 o'clock Friday morning. Now, what transpired in the middle was very interesting. I knew there was potentially a problem with the camera, definitely a problem with the motherboard. I also had a keyboard problem. Uh, one of the keys on my keyboard would stick intermittently, but I hadn't gotten it fixed because that would have made it a multi-component repair. And I didn't want to do that to my guy, but I figured while I'm sending it in, I'll do it. And then also uh, I had a battery that I used with that machine that was, it was dying. So I figured we'll do this all. And I, I sent in, I went and did the online, uh, you know, have a guy call me back kind of thing on Apple's site. And I typed in all my details. I separated each little problem. I did a little paragraph about each by the time the guy called me, he said, thank you for troubleshooting this as much as you have. Uh, I'm not going to waste your time troubleshooting. He didn't even say I'm not going to waste your time troubleshooting. He just said, sounds like you need a box. I said, I need a box. So hmm. next morning, this is Wednesday morning, a box shows up. I put my computer in it. I call FedEx back. They come take the computer. Uh, Thursday morning, bright and early, I get an email saying your computer's been received by the depot. And oh, while the guy was on the phone with me, John, he asked me, Many questions, two of which were, have you put any third party RAM in and have you replaced the hard drive? The answer to both of those questions is yes, I've upgraded yes. the RAM. Right. <laughs> and I, I put an SSD drive in and I was very upfront about this with them. I said, is that a problem? I have the original drive. And they said, no, 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 it's not a problem. We just need to know uh, what's original Apple hardware and what's not. And I said, OK, fine. So uh, it gets there. You know, I'm looking at this repair status online. This is Thursday. And uh couple out, you know, it says received and it says in under repair and then it says repair completed pending return. Great. Fine. That's, you know, by noon, wow. this has happened, which is, it's good. That's great. That's turnaround. Right. Yeah. They, awesome. It always is. It always is. Unless they need a part. They don't have return. Turnaround is, you know, 48 hours or less usually. So, uh, about three o'clock in the afternoon, my phone at the house rings, which ha 
thankfully also rings in the office. I'd given them my mm. cell phone, but on file somewhere, they have my house number. So Apple calls me and uh, this woman says, hey, you know, we're, we're working on your computer. Yeah, it's definitely the motherboard. Uh, but there's also the hard drive also needs to be replaced. And, you know, uh-huh. we can't do that as part of the warranty because it's, you know, a third party drive. And I said, right, right. Got it. And I said, well, that that's interesting. I mean, I had tested the drive before it left. Uh, you know, because, because I was going through all these diagnostics anyway. So why did they conclude that it needed to be replaced? Well, they, they, they were uh, unspecific about this. Okay. Uh, but they said, look, it needs to be replaced. And I thought in my head, I'm thinking, well, of course it's not matching their specs for a drive. So, and I even told them that I said, look, I, I don't think there's a problem with the drive. But uh, don't touch the drive. Don't replace it. I'm not going to pay you to replace the drive. But, uh, you know, just fix the rest of the stuff, button it up and and send it back. I'll I'll deal with the drive. I have the other one. I can put that back. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, yeah, we can't do that. Uh, we can't repair anything unless what? we're going to repair everything. And the reason is we certify all our repairs that the machine, once it leaves, is in tip top shape and everything is hunky dory. And we can't do that with yours because. We, you know, the hard drive isn't matching our specs. I'm thinking, oh, what a wasted, what a goat rodeo this has become. So <laughs> I said, well, okay, fine. Then just send it back to me. You know, the computer was working. It was just the the, the camera that, that was the only symptom I was having. Yeah. And I said, just send it back. They're like, oh, okay, well, it might not be today because we've got to button it all back up. I'm like, well, if you got it apart, you should replace all the other stuff. But I know you can't do that. And they're like, yeah, no, we can't do that. Uh, so we said, so we might get it out today, but it'll definitely be tomorrow. You'll have it back no later than Monday, which would have been today. Well, it showed up Friday. Like I said, Friday morning by 10 o'clock. So did they leave? Did they put back all the original they, parts? They, they told me that's what they were going to do. Now I, I get the computer out of the box. I open the, I open the, the, you know, the, the, the MacBook pro it's got a hinge, right? Like we all do. I unflip the laptop. The first thing I notice is that on the screen, uh, the, there's a sticker with a barcode and my repair order number. And I thought that that's kind of bad form to put a sticker yeah. right on the screen. But yeah. I, I took the sticker off and that was no problem. The next thing I noticed was that the uh, not just the keyboard, but the upper assembly, which is, the, the, you know, the palm rest, the trackpad, everything brand spanking new. Uh, I've seen enough of these new ones to know. I also knew what yeah. my old one looked like. Brand okay. spanking new. Great. I flipped it over to check the battery. The battery has a clear sticker on it. Uh, you know, that it's come out, you know, just come fresh out of the box. I hit the, uh, the little button on the battery to see how it was doing. And it was dead. It, it had a, uh, it, you know, mm. one, one button flash, right? One light flash was happening on the battery, but it was clearly a different battery than it left with. I thought, okay, good. Maybe they did replace everything. Uh, and, and to shortcut that part of it, they did. They also have replaced the motherboard and the eyesight problem is, is fixed. So I played, well, I plugged it in and I turned it on. Apple logo comes up, then the little progress bar comes up at the bottom, which tells me it's trying to perform a file system check that goes about 10% and the computer shuts off. And so I do it again. Wait, wait, progress. So you started the machine up and you saw a progress bar. You may have never seen this, but what will happen if the computer decides that the OS needs a file system check uh, at least with Snow Leopard, I think that I think it started with Snow okay, Leopard. Okay, I've I've seen this when the machine's trying to do a firmware update. Different progress bar. Uh, completely. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. But, but similar Understood. enough. Yeah, right. Same concept as the firmware progress bar. Right. Uh, so it starts doing this and then dies. And it, I knew uh, file system check. Okay. 
So I let this happen twice. And clearly it wasn't going to get any better. I boot from the Snow Leopard DVD and I go into disc utility and uh, I start to, I see my drive, which was, you know, comforting knowing that it was still the same drive that it left with. And I do a file system repair on it. It gets, you know, a third of the way through what that process would be. And it says, oh, no, totally. This is terrible. This drive's got more file system corruption than you can ever imagine. I'm not going to be able to fix it. But I did notice that the SMART status on the drive said that it's fine and verified. Okay, fine. Now, before I sent it in, I had not only had a time machine backup, but I, you know, I have a daily super duper clone that I run every night. I ran it the moment before I powered the machine down. So I had a clone of my drive as it left. And, and I do this for two reasons. One, if the drive is replaced or damaged in the process, I have a backup, but also if I, you know, if that machine, if they tell me, well, we're going to have it for two weeks, I can take that drive and plug it into another Mac and I'm back up and running, you know, might not be my same normal setup, but at least it's all my documents and hardware and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, fine. So I boot up that is still from the snow leopard DVD. I, um, I actually, I tried disc warrior. I tried drive genius. Nothing would fix this. I'm going to start to get a little worried. I'm like, well, when disc warrior can't fix it, that's that, you know, that's a significant thing, but again, not showing any hardware damage, only showing file system corruption. So I boot from the snow leopard DVD. I go into disc utility. I go to the restore tab. I plug in my firewire backup. And first I formatted my SSD fresh and then I ran a file system check on it, which should have come clean because it was brand spanking new formatted. And it did. Everything was fine. I thought, great. I do restore. I drag the FireWire drive as the source. I drag the SSD as the destination. I let it run for a couple of hours. Boots up. Everything is totally fine. Totally happy. It's been that way since Friday. So now, you know, three and a half days. I've run file system checks on it since then. No corruption coming out of nowhere. Everything is fine. Eyesight camera works. All my problems are fixed. I just had to go through the little process of repairing all this corruption. Now, here's what I think happened, John. So, so the basic, uh, so what appears to have happened, Dave, is everything was fixed. Correct. Mysteriously, the data on the drive somehow got corrupted. Correct. Correct. Okay. Now. The question is, and I'm sure you're going to tell me your thoughts. Yep. And I'll tell you mine, but yep. uh, between you putting it in the box and fortunately doing multiple backups, which is a great thing to do. Yes. Because <laughs> we hate single points of failure. Correct. <laughs> uh, so between you putting it in the box and they're receiving it and doing who knows what, and that's going to be my right. thing, um, the data on the drive was disturbed or corrupted. And, uh, and uh, so right. and my what do you guess, think happened? My guess is Apple did not believe that the drive itself had any physical problems. But it, I also believe now that their repair policy is if you see significant file system corruption on a drive, you just replace it because that's kind of how they roll in their laptop repair facilities. They'll replace everything. I've sent it in for a keyboard before and gotten a new motherboard and DVD drive uh, and a new keyboard, right? They, they replace everything because they get a slap on the wrist, not for multi-component repairs, but for returns, Right. Because remember, they're shipping a box three times priority overnight, once to send you the empty box, once to send the computer to the depot. Then they're paying, you know, U.S. hourly wages to someone in the depot. And then they're again 
you know, priority overnight to get it back to you. They do not want that thing to come back. The The bulk of the time is in shipping and opening it up. Once it's open, replace everything you can. Mm. So, so my feeling is they replace hard drives when they think that there might be anything going on. And I, 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 I buy into that policy. It fits. No problem. Here's what I think happened. Mm-hmm. I think they got the machine. They booted it up. Uh, actually, they did not boot it up because I looked at my console logs Ooh. on the machine. <laughs> I was able to see the console. No, you know what? Now that I think about it, I did not. I couldn't see the console logs. So I don't know that I, I think they. I think they probably did boot it up and it worked fine. Now, it's possible something happened in shipping, but I doubt it. Uh, I'm going to go with my other theory. I think they booted it up. It was fine. They, they ran the tests. They saw, okay, yep, here's, here's the problems. Let's go. They power it down, unplug it, take the battery out, throw the battery away, right? Because the battery was one of the things they were going to replace. Pull it all apart. Put the new motherboard in. Put the new uh, keyboard assembly in. Button it all back up. Grab a new battery off the shelf. Plug it in. Start it up. And what is, and I'm going to answer my own question here, but the one best way of getting your file system to corrupt itself would be to start the machine up and pull power from it a couple of times in a row. I mean that there's nothing else out there that's going to cause file system corruption like that. And I think that's exactly what happened. I think they grabbed this battery off the shelf, assumed like all the other batteries they've ever grabbed off the shelf, that it has at least a 60% charge. Didn't Mm. bother to plug it in. Tried to fire it up a couple times, blew it, you know, kept dying. What's going on? Oh, crap. It's not the bad motherboard. I don't have power on this thing. Uh-oh. Put power in. By that point, it's too late. Uh-oh. What do I tell my boss? I tell my boss what I see, which is file system corruption. Got to replace the drive. Oh, except it's a third-party drive. Now I'm in a problem. And uh, and I think that's what happened. I, again, I you know... In the end, it all worked out okay, and I got the repair done that I wanted, even though the paperwork that came back with it said we didn't do anything. Uh, but it clearly has all this new stuff in it. Uh, but uh, but that that's my that's my theory on this one is that is 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 that that low battery which has held the charge fine since then. I've charged it three times since then, no problems. Uh, you know, I think it I think it just drained on the bench. So that's huh. my theory. The only guess I would have is that. It, when uh, before they prep the machine for going out, they yep. probably run some sort of final diagnostic. I'm okay. wondering if that diagnostic has some sort of hard drive test that, for whatever reason, I'm reaching here because I, I agree with you. I, I think that's it. I think the machine shut down at a bad point in time and corrupted the data. Yep. The only, uh, but I'm leading to uh, what caused the data corruption. The only thing I could think of is that it was something they ran, and they have utilities that sure. mere mortals like you and I do not have access to and Actually, it just they, had they a, run drive genius from what i from what i've been told oh, I, okay. I could be wrong that may only be in the stores actually now that i think about it but i know that, that was my understanding well no we so. talked about this before they have something called um i forget the name of it but no there is an extended apple test program that is not right. drive genius that 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 is available to them i'm wondering if it had some unfortunate disagreement with your ssd that they have not seen before though i find that kind of a reach so i, do too, so I agree they ship ssds I mean, it's, yes, you know, not, not yours not, is a run core, correct. right? Correct. Right. Mine's a run core. But so I mean, I'm with you. I yeah. think it was on the bench. It lost power. It was at an unfortunate moment. Yep. 
probably writing data to the drive and whoops. Yep. Bye bye. All corrupted. I've, I've seen it. I mean, I, that's, you know, that's the best way to get file system corruption is to do that. You want right. lots, do it a so, couple times in a row. So, so on, uh, so, so I guess on the, uh, I don't know if this is a finger wag or a fist shake, because the thing is you did. I'm actually after you happy. Were, in after you restored your drive, you got what you were looking for, which is a, a machine that is working better than it was before. Yes, absolutely. In the end, I'm happy here. Yeah, I've, I'm not. I have no complaints, but it's just. An, it, yeah, I again, I'm not sure if it's a fish shake, a finger wag or a thank you. You know, it's maybe it's two thumbs up <laughs> because in the end, they did the right thing by sending it back to me and letting me fix it. You know, fix the last little bit. Which, which well, I that's what I was hoping, do. because when yeah. when you talk to them, they're like, well, we'll put all the old parts. It's, oh, no, don't oh. don't don't take a step backwards. Come yeah. on. Yeah, I know. That's what, right. That was that was the most frustrating part was the, you know, whatever it is, 16 hours between the phone call. And, uh, you know, when they told yeah. me that's where they were going to do and when the machine arrived, it's like, I can't believe. So I'd written my Apple guy. I'm like, OK, do they still beat on you for multi-part repairs? Because I really got to get this taken care of because these other things Apple cares runs out in six months. And, to, you know, I don't want to have to do this 90 day delay thing with you. And, uh, you know, is there anything? Yeah. And, uh, and then it showed up and it's like, oh, look at that. Okay. Well, my last fiasco with them, and then I think we got to wrap it up, it was do? my back and forth with my G4. And uh, the, basically, my conclusion was they blew up my airport card because I shipped the machine to them for a screen issue. They shipped it back to me, and all of a sudden, the airport didn't work. It, it was actually the, the, the card was taped onto the outside of the machine. I'm like, uh, what? I put it back in. I tried testing airport. Airport was dead. And I'm like, uh, and maybe that's in the, the process manual. Oh, if the airport car doesn't work, tape it on the outside of the machine and I say everything know. else is working great. But in the no. end, they did. Somebody, they you, somebody right? after six back and forth, right. as you pointed out, Dave, the overnight shipping was the killer. And, and I was on the, on the phone with the guy. I'm like, you know, every second you're talking to me, you're losing money on this Apple Care contract. And he's like, oh, yeah. yes, I know. I'm like, look. You guys tried it. I think it was five or six times. I'm like, look, at this point, we're talking new machine, right? And he's like, yeah. Yeah. So I basically got a PowerBook G4 that was the equivalent class of the machine right. that I purchased uh, You know, when I got the machine. So they did good by me. It was very frustrating because, in my opinion, uh, as with you, Dave, I think they screwed something up. And it got worse. Now, fortunately, you had one go-round. I had six. Now, I think right. they're going to clamp down on that because, again... Right. The, just the money I paid for the contract was all lost on overnight shipping. Oh, yeah. Even at their discount. But yeah. So it it, it worked out. Uh, the, the lesson here is always do a backup. And, and I really, even if you don't do it regularly as part of your normal routine, before sending a machine in, find an extra hard drive and clone that drive. Uh, again, you know, even if you don't have an extra Mac, you can find an extra Mac, you can borrow a friend's, or if you have to buy one, you know, you buy one, uh, and at least you've got your working environment ready to go. I would even suggest maybe, uh, I think I've done this in the past, I, I think when I've shipped it in the last time, I actually formatted the drive. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's right. the, no, that's I created the a new thing. user. I'm, I'm right. sorry. I created a new user account and I said, here's the user account you're going to use. I don't want you looking at my data. Right. Not that I was too worried about them, you know, learning my secrets. But I said, here's the user account and password that you can use to test the machine. Right. And I think I shipped it to him. But but if you're really extreme, you could 
back up your drive to a known reliable source and then put in a new drive with a fresh OS. And maybe that in itself could help you diagnose a problem. But yeah, you, you got to think about how you want to approach this. So you, you were trusting enough, Dave, to put your drive with your sensitive data. Yeah. Okay. But I, I did the same thing. I, I created a test user account that the username and password was test, and that's what I told them on the phone. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it it makes it easier for them. They're not dealing with different apps launching when they're not expecting them to. You know, it's a clean install. Good to go. All right. Uh, contact information. You can email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com. I know, Dave. Did you say feedback at MacGeekApp.com? I said feedback at MacGeekApp.com. Unless you're a premium subscriber, in which, which case premium at MacGeekApp.com is the right place to write us. 206-666-GEEK is the number to call, and geek is... 43 Three, five. Go to MacGeekGab.com for the show notes, and you can also Skype us at MacGeekGab as well. Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast converts this to AAC for you. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, provides all the bandwidth. Blog World Expo is coming up. John and I have booked our flights. We are going to be oh, yeah. there. It is October 14th through 16th. In Las Vegas, Observer VIP is the code that you use to get 20% off of your tickets. Again, that's Observer VIP. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and 10, uh, 5% extra from Gazelle.com using the coupon code MacGeek. And we didn't finish... Before Whoa. the little thing ran out, so here we go. We're <laughs> out of here. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Thanks a lot, folks. We've got oh, the course. premium show number 282 coming up on Thursday. Subscribe if you haven't already. We appreciate it. Have fun. We'll see you next time. Don't get caught. Made up. I said Thursday, John. I think it's Wednesday, isn't it? Wednesday for the next premium show. We'll see you folks. Thanks. Yes, it is.